Since March 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been developing content monthly, weekly, and daily for the business of pharmacy. With more than 25 different podcast channels, more than 1 million downloads, and 30-plus participating pharmacists, the Pharmacy Podcast Network is the global leader in podcasting for the pharmacy professional. Find all of our podcast channels by going to pharmacypodcast.com forward slash shows. Pharmacy benefit managers, better known as PBMs, are responsible for negotiating payment rates for a large share of prescription drugs distributed in the United States. Recently, state Medicaid systems, policymakers, and national pharmacy associations have expressed concern that certain PBMs' business practices may not be consistent with public policy goals to improve the value of pharmaceutical spending. This podcast series is all about PBM reform. Listen to the discussions, share these podcasts, and help build a new pharmacy payer system which supports our independent community pharmacies, encourages fair and transparent competition in the marketplace, and most importantly, is designed to deliver the best patient care. Pharmacy Podcast Nation, this is the founder of the Pharmacy Podcast, Todd Yuri. This is the PBM Reform Podcast Series. This is an important series to pharmacists everywhere. I don't care if you're a pharmacy student. I don't care if you're a technologist that sells pharmacy software. If you're a pharmacy in a hospital system, and especially if you're an independent pharmacy owner, PBM reform is affecting every aspect of the pharmacy industry. It's going to uh, disintegrate about two to 3,000 jobs, pharmacist jobs, over the next 24 months. It's going to close independently owned um, community pharmacies throughout the country continue to close them because they can't keep their doors open in rural communities that has um, health care providers in the form of a community pharmacy that is the nearest provider of care to them. It's going to affect hospital systems. It's going to affect employers. And today's episode, the third installment of the uh, PBM Reform podcast series, is a very special one because now we're going to be hearing from an administrator, um, someone who helps to uh, govern and manage the benefits for employees in the world of education, in a teacher's union, in the state of Pennsylvania, my home state, in my great um, city that I'm from, Brownsville, Pennsylvania, Fayette County, Pennsylvania. I want to introduce to the Pharmacy Podcast Network, Mary Ellen Jones. Um, It's awesome to have you in the studios we also have AJ, who is the CEO of Capital RX. I want to welcome both in, both of you to the PBM Reform Series. Thank you. Thanks, Dad. So let's start off with Mary Ellen. Just give a backdrop of yourself. Uh, let us know um, how you got into the teachers' union and how you've become an advocate for teachers in the state of uh, Pennsylvania and obviously more specifically in, in our more hometown area. But just give us some background. Sure. So Pennsylvania State Education Association represents 181,000 professional and support personnel throughout the state of Pennsylvania. We also have a couple of uh, nurses um, under the National Labor Relations Board. So we're the largest union in the state of Pennsylvania. How I became a part of that uh, network was I was a teacher. I was a member and I 
got the union bug and decided to represent those teachers. So I represent right now, as you shared, uh, Todd, I have nine different school districts, 13 different local associations with their own contracts, and um, over 1,700 members, including here in Brownsville. 1,700 members. That means 1,700 teachers. 1,700 teachers and support personnel. So for example... In one of those uh, districts, I've got three different associations. One of them is professional, the other is blue-collar, and the other is white-collar. Okay. If I took 1,700 lives, I could easily times it by three. Correct. And basically come up with the total lives being impacted by what we're going to be talking about today. Correct. AJ, I'm going to shift quick gears down to third gear real quick because we were going at sixth gear there real fast. I want you to come in. Tell our listeners what you do with Capital RX. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, my background, I've spent 20 years in the pharmacy supply chain. I started with pharmaceutical manufacturing, doing supply chain software conversions, really dry work. I uh, did that for six, seven years. Uh, moved over to the employer side, um, procurement and audit. So my last company did procurement and audit solutions for some of the larger payers in the country. This gave me a front row seat over probably call it 17 years of my career to everything that I liked and disliked about the pharmacy supply chain. What I recognized was the only way to fix pharmacy benefits would be to become the problem, become the PBM, because, you know, PBMs don't have to behave the way that they are. And we'll go into this in a little, in a lot more detail, but, you know, PBMs are nothing more than you know, glorified market makers. They make their money on spread pricing, but it's the worst type of market maker. It's a black box of spread. No one quite understands what the price of a drug, let alone the profitability on the back. So what's interesting, I've been in pharmacy now since 2004 on the technology side. It literally took me five years to really get my hands around, arms around, eyes around, ears around. What is a PBM? What is a pharmacy benefit manager? And even though I kind of definitely have a really good idea of what they do, I still can't follow how many times they've changed things in order to continue to literally profit off of taxpayer money, which is the part that bothers me the most when you're creating profits, millions of dollars of profits. As an example, Maryland State Audit, Maryland State Health System just did an audit and came up with $72 million in spread pricing that could have impacted families in the in the state of Maryland some other way rather than profiting um, PBMs. So that bothers me. Let's pause on that, Todd, because think about this for a second. And I make this point all the time. If a PBM is willing to take, according to this article, excessive profit on Medicaid, which is designed for the poorest, most underserved of our population, what do you think they do to corporate America? So let's come back to Mary Ellen. Mary Ellen, you are in charge of really protecting the families that are that are that are being cared for based on two or one parent households or person households. We know I know my wife works. My wife's a nurse at a state uh, prison here in Fayette County. I work uh, probably 40 to 60 hours a week. We're not struggling per se. But I'll tell you what, after Christmas time or after tax time, things get tight 
And I can imagine the way that a family that has an income that may be half of what it is for me, and I rely on my benefits to pay for prescriptions for my children. I rely on my benefits to pay for prescriptions for um, myself and my wife. And if I started digging into the money that I'm spending, my hard-earned money, and I find out that PBMs are making millions upon millions of dollars in profit off that, that bothers me. So from your perspective, Mary Ellen, I want to hear from you. You're the consumer. You know, I'm the talking head. Uh, AJ is a CEO of a new up-and-coming transparent PBM, which is absolutely awesome. But it's you that we want to hear from. Well, sure. Uh, my job, part of my job, is to actually bargain the benefit packages for those 1,700 people that I shared earlier. So what are our benefits primarily? Well, it's it's our health care. Pensions are required by the state. I don't, I don't get to bargain those. So the only other benefit that's out there, aside from, you know, maybe an extra personal day, is what are my health care benefits going to cost me as the employee? I know there's only so much pie when it comes to the finances of a school district. And each time we talk about what's in that pie, it has to do with their salaries and the health care costs. What's the major change? It's the healthcare costs. Those are the ones that are going up exponentially. And when I first heard about Capital RX in February of 2019, which is why I was so excited to have this conversation with uh, the two of you, to realize that there's somebody out there who is actually who actually cares about what is going on with the PBMs and to make it transparent was eye-opening for me. And I don't know why everybody isn't talking about this. Absolutely. So I want I want to stop and and I'm gonna ask I'm gonna ask for feedback from Mary Ellen and AJ on this point. So we have, and when I say we, a group of people that I've worked with before, transparent PBM leaders. Some of them were pharmacy owners who have created their own PBMs. Have approached health systems like UPMC or Florida Blue or Blue Cross and Blue Shield and have said to them, "Here's what we can do to help." save um, your um, insurance user, our customer, everybody's customer, money. And these big insurers pretend you can't carve out the pharmacy benefit for whatever reason that they want. AJ, what's the truth behind that? Why would, it, why would UPMC or why would Blue Cross Blue Shield be against Mary Ellen bringing the teachers union to the table and saying, we're going to continue to use UPMC. I'm going to use them as an example because it's Pittsburgh. Go Pittsburgh. But why we want to continue to use UPMC or WVU, but we need to carve out our pharmacy benefit. Why is the insurance provider or company against that? Yeah, I mean, you don't have to look any further than the annual financial reports or the quarterly earnings reports for the three publicly traded health entities. So this would be CVS, this would be United, this would be Cigna. And if you look at their quarterly reports, you know, they say the same thing every time. You know, pharmacy lifts earnings. Pharmacy allows the company to exceed their earnings. You know, the modern healthcare company, medical pharmacy, at this point, 45 to 60% of their earnings comes from pharmacy, even though medical is many times the size. So it's highly profitable. We've always known this, 
but how profitable. I gave a presentation to an employer group about a couple months back. And what was interesting was the employer's CFO was shocked when we made this statement. And it wasn't until he looked at the 10K and suddenly recognized, oh my goodness, this is really the case. This They do make that amount of money. But so what do they do? They don't want someone to carve out pharmacy because it pads their earnings. The other thing that they do is we often say is they weaponize, you know, the ACA, the accumulator rule, which is... When the Affordable Care Act came out, it, it made a very smart ruling. It said that I'm going to have a global accumulator. If I have a deductible plan, the medical and pharmacy will count towards each other. But instead of this being a good thing, medical carriers seized upon it and weaponized it and did a very anti-competitive move. They refused to share data. So if someone says, look, we want to carve out, then they go to their next line of defense. They go, fine, I, I can't share data. So if they have an accumulator, they basically say, I don't want to share this. And so if you think about how ridiculous this is, we as the pharmacy benefit manager need to program to their file format and their standards. So no one's asking them to change format or to do something. They just don't even want to send the file. And just to give you an understanding of how simple of a process this is, this takes maybe a mid-level engineer on my team, maybe an hour to do. That's it. But they make it sound like that we're putting a man on the moon. And if they get someone that pushes really hard, then they'll say, I'm going to charge you an egregious amount of money. I've heard everything from a half a million dollars to $250,000. I've heard someone say, I'm going to charge you $15,000 per feed. But these they're arbitrary numbers. And it's because, again, they're trying to make it impossible to, for someone to carve out the most lucrative line of business, pharmacy. So uh, Pennsylvania State Representative Rob Mazzi came out with the Mazzi bill. It is uh, House Bill 941 in May of 2019, which is supposed to bring transparency to the state of Pennsylvania's PBMs, those PBMs that are doing business with, uh, with public and private and, and uh, government uh, entities. Mm -hmm. And also, um, our Auditor General Eugene DePascal, who has been on the Pharmacy Podcast talking about PBM reform, he actually visited a Newcastle, Pennsylvania pharmacy and started to develop a further report on spread pricing. Mary Ellen, from your perspective, what do you want to communicate, number one, to, to other unions in the state? That you, there are other, there's other Mary Ellens in other parts of the state. Number two, what do you want to communicate to the big insurance providers who are basically keeping you captive to, continue in, to, to continuing to spend dollars that you don't have to spend? Sure. So I think the, the key is and why it's so difficult to to have traction on this issue from our perspective as as advocates for our members is that we are not technically the customer. We do not send the checks to the uh, healthcare providers. Right. So they don't listen to us. Right. And the only time I really get to have that voice is at the bargaining table. And, um, you know... AJ can share with you every time that they've made presentations uh, to our school districts here in the state of Pennsylvania, they've won contracts because 
what they're saying is logical, it makes sense. So who's keeping them out is the problem. You know, all of my members are part of consortia, which are held by boards run by business managers and superintendents. And if they aren't educated on what PBMs are doing, because their third party administrators are keeping that off the table, right? I have to be able to bring it to the table at bargaining. But it still only has one impact, one district among 50. So it, it's it's a tough um, row to hoe, so to speak. Yes. But it's one I think we need to continue to start having these conversations. And you're right, there are other me's across the state. And, and in fact, I am a member of the healthcare strategy work group for my union. So not only are there, you know, just me and, and PSEA, but there's many PSEA people who have this same information and are, and are pushing it across the state. How many teachers are in the state of Pennsylvania estimate? I have no idea because we do not hold the uh, big city schools. So okay. Pittsburgh and Philadelphia are the American Federation of Teachers. So they're in a separate union. Okay. But 181,000, 90% of that number is teachers. Okay. So. so what I want listeners to hear, if you are in the insurance business, if you work for UPMC, because I'm going to blow this up on LinkedIn, if you're a administrator, if you're uh, a board, if you're on a board of a school district, you can do something about this. You can reach out to your state representative. I'm going to put in the show notes of today's episode reference to the bill that was just passed by Representative Rob Mazzi, which is House Bill 941 again. There are things that you can actually do to make this change. Once again, I'm going to come back to AJ. AJ, someone listening to this right now that is in Mary Ellen's position that does want to change things. Number one, obviously, they can work with Capital RX or other transparent PBMs. Sure, that's great. But even bigger than that, how do they approach, how do they go about carving out or, or even making the proposal to carve out the pharmacy benefit away from the insurance uh, so that it, so that they can get the biggest savings, literal savings, not just, you know, hearsay and, and PCMAs, you know, how great PBMs are, but the true savings that um, a transparent PBM can deliver. Yeah, I think the first thing I want to make a distinction of is the word transparency has kind of been overused and beaten to death. And, you know, I've spent 20 years in the supply chain and you know, what is transparency? It, it's a whisper. It's a promise. But if you look at PBM's contracts, they all run the same. It's AWP minus. And what's missing in this is, first of all, every PBM has a different definition of brand generic and specialty. And if you were to audit their book of business, you would find each underlying client may have different definitions. So the industry can't even define on something as simple as something's being off patent. And then the other part that's truly troublesome to me, and this is my life as an auditor before I founded a PBM, which was I used to ask for the reimbursement file. Prove to me, because you're saying you're transparent and it's just a promise, but show me the 835 reconciliation, the file that is sent to the pharmacy by the PBM that shows just how much did I reimburse the pharmacy for the drugs. 
because there's this common misconception that it's a perfectly efficient market and that whatever savings that is negotiated by the manufacturer or through the pharmacy ends up in the hands of the patient of the plan. That couldn't be farther from the truth because contractually, the buy side, the employer groups, and the sell side, the pharmacies, are contractually forbidden to communicate with each other. Let's just think about how stupid that is. Every other good that I can think of, from gasoline to bananas, we can think of a price because buyers and sellers freely communicate on price. The example I've given a hundred times is if someone is selling gasoline for $2.70, the gas station across the street has to sell it for $2.71, $2.72. They can't sell it for $10. But the problem in the United States is no one can see the other side of the street. More importantly, they're contractually forbidden from crossing the street and even asking. So, how do you solve this problem? And this is what we did at CapitalRx. We created the clearinghouse model. The first thing is we moved away from AWP because it doesn't properly reflect directionally the cost of drugs. Are they going up or down? Like the example I give all the time is if you take an average price, and this is the unit source price of AWP, you would say generic drugs, the top 500 should be deflating. But if you look at AWP, it's been inflating over 15 years. And that's ac- that's the actual wholesale price is what that stands for. Well, no, this is the average wholesale price. This oh, is average wholesale price. This, price. What's, okay. this is what's listed in every contract. Yes. Well, and what's fascinating is it's not directionally moving in the right direction. If you talk to any hospital or any pharmacy or any large chain, they'll say generic drugs are deflating. And so who benefits when list price goes up and acquisition cost goes down and, oh, yeah, No one contractually can talk to the pharmacy to even understand what they're being reimbursed. So what we decided to do is we moved to NADAC, National Average Drug Acquisition Cost. And what is NADAC? NADAC is maintained by CMS. It's used for Medicaid reimbursement. What we like about NADAC is, one, is it doesn't sit behind a paywall by a third party. It's maintained by the federal government, CMS. I can't influence it. It's a broad survey of 600 pharmacies across the country. It represents their acquisition cost. And the price only changes if the drug price reported moved plus or minus 2%. And this is important because what this enables us to do is it standardizes pricing. If someone fills a prescription in Alaska or Pennsylvania, they both have the same starting price. And it's cost plus, so it's a very easy to audit. You understand. The other thing, and your pharmacists that are listening to the podcast would like this, especially independent pharmacists. I make this point all the time. I am third generation independent pharmacist. My grandfather was a pharmacist. My father was a pharmacist. My lot in life is to process claims or audit them. But my point is I have sympathized from day one with an independent pharmacist. And what I hate about the current system is they are being abused by large carriers and PBMs, and it's not an efficient market. So whatever they're scraping away from these independent pharmacists, they never receive the value. So when we move to NADEC, it's cost plus. No one's ever underwater. Your acquisition cost is always cost plus reflection of NADEC. And this is important because there's been a bunch of states that have tried to address this with MAC reimbursement rules. That, that's not it. The key is we just need to be able to see the other side of the street. What is a fair price? Let the pharmacy set the price and communicate. You know, that's why every other good settles at an efficient price. Buyers and sellers freely communicate. It's fascinating to me because most administrators don't even understand this, that even though a pharmacy buys their inventory, they don't set the price. Right. The PBM and the carrier does. And that's dangerous because no one can see the middle. 
let's point out let's point out one more thing that I I want the listeners to also understand and I don't care once again what role you play even if you're a consumer because actually if you are a consumer slash patient you're the most important person to actually be listening to this podcast right now Mary Ellen in your agreements with, that are in place today are you allowed as a teacher um, as a family member of that teacher that's covered by the benefit are you allowed to use any pharmacy you want or are you forced to use a pharmacy that is on the back of your card where they require you to use that specific pharmacy? Yes. Uh, all of my members are in networked pharmacies. And in fact, they're, they're limited. They're, they're even a, they used to have a larger network. They're even a smaller network now. And in fact, many of our local uh, locally owned pharmacists had to agree to new pricing yeah, in order to be included into those limited networks. So. so here's the frustration. That's with your situation, right? In the state of Pennsylvania, definitely throughout the country, there are contracts that will say your first 30-day fill or your first 60-day fill, you can use whatever pharmacy you want. But if it's a maintenance drug for some condition like diabetes, for example, that you're going to be taking over and over again, you eventually have to use a quote-unquote mail-order pharmacy, right? Well, here's the thing. Lots of those mail-order pharmacies are owned by the exact PBM, the pharmacy benefit manager, that is dictating how they're pricing the drugs that you're taking. And like, I don't want to start screaming on this podcast, but it makes me want to pull my hair out that don't you see... Let me repeat that for, for our listeners. There are contracts that say, yeah, you can use for your first fill, you can use Walmart, you can use Jay's Pharmacy down the street, an independent, whoever you want to use. But if it's a maintenance med, you're going to have to use based on the plan, based on the insurance. If you want this paid for in your insurance, which by the way, it's still your money and your copay, you have to use a mail order pharmacy. And the mail order pharmacy, once again, is owned by the PBM, the pharmacy benefit manager. AJ, that sounds like insanity to me. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you think about it, it was a natural progression for PBMs because they had said, you know, it kind of hit, you know, the, the high water mark of how I'm making money today. How can I make more? And they said, well, enter the golden age of mail order facilities, central fill and you know, we saw that expansion in the late 90s, early 21st century. And then the second gold rush was specialty. Specialty eclipse mail order three to one easily. So the second gold rush, and if you follow the news, probably once a quarter, you hear one of the big three buying what's left of the specialty pharmacies. I think we're just now Diplomat is being purchased by United Healthcare. Right. And so, you know, it's this hyper consolidation. You know, what I always point out is why hasn't the model changed? It's the perfect model. So if you have the perfect model where it's an inelastic demand curve and it inflates every year, you buy more of it. That's exactly what the industry did. And so when we look broadly at mail and specialty at our organization, we view it the same way as retail. We don't make money on fulfillment, so we're agnostic. I would love every pharmacy to be a network, and I would love anyone who can offer a combination of cost and service to be considered for mail and specialty. My job as a PBM is to administrate. And as an administrator, our focus should be on service to the members and quality of care and better outcomes for the patients. 
That's what a PBM should be spending all their resources on. But if you think about it, 50% of the staff of a traditional PBM is to keep the good times rolling, to claw back, to carve out, manage MAC, manage rebates. It's insanity. Medical doesn't work this way. You don't get to mark up a physician's costs. Why should you mark up the prescription they prescribe? The system needs to change. So, and what's also interesting is the community pharmacies, even if, even if it's a corporately owned community pharmacy, even though I favor independently owned pharmacies, I'm going to put them all in the same bucket for my example. So the Target pharmacy, the Walmart, the Publix, the grocery store pharmacy, the Giant Eagle, Sam's pharmacy, or Brownsville Family's pharmacy right down the hill from where we're at right now. All of these pharmacies are in the community. A mail-order pharmacy is not in the community. It's somewhere out in some big, huge facility. And even though they employ people that are, in fact, in the community, it's different ways of supporting the community. That's number one. Number two, your mailman who delivers those maintenance meds to your house cannot see the color of your skin and cannot hear how you're breathing cannot see how you're feeling. You can't talk to the mailman and say, hey, I've been taking this med now for two years and I'm feeling this or I'm going through this or what can I do for my other condition? A community pharmacist, regardless of the setting, even though, once again, we prefer the independent community, can look at you, can can say what's going on or do you have something else happening or how are you feeling? And I think there is a healthcare quality that we're missing when we start outsourcing to mail order. And and that that part of it also bothers me because of the health of the patient, because of the health of our consumer. Mary Ellen, what do you want to say to a listener now who you're going to be sharing these podcasts with that are in your position to help govern the benefits, to help construct better benefits for teachers? What can you say to them to help them not only educate, but help to advocate for change in the state of Pennsylvania? I think that the most important thing that I can do with um, taking the information that we're sharing here today and moving forward is to really push our consortia to have these conversations as uncomfortable as they are, as uncomfortable as their third-party administrators are, to require when I am bargaining with a a particular district for them to go back to that third-party administrator and have them explain to that superintendent why they can't possibly have that presentation of a pass-through PBM at their table because it's, you know, the the reasons that AJ shared. It's, um, I think we all have to start asking these important questions and it can't just stop with the pharmacist. Right. <laughs> so that's, that's why I'm here. Todd, yeah. I have a, I have a follow-up to that and I'm going to take us to an uncomfortable place. So Take us there. We're ready. So, you know, a lot of times people ask me like, why haven't I heard about this before? Or, you know, why, why would someone be against this? And we call them the quote unquote enablers of bad behavior. And you're like, well, who are you talking about? And I'm just going to throw this out there. I would say 50% of the advisor, consultant, broker community has a conflict of interest. You know, they're either, they have a, you know, a coalition that pays them on a per script basis, or they're being highly compensated and it's undisclosed. 
And I think the industry needs to make a decision. There's nothing wrong with being a marketing agent for a PBM or a carrier. Just state that fact. But if you're the role of the trusted advisor, you need to be unbiased. And to be unbiased, you need to be only compensated through a consulting fee that's fully disclosed and paid for by the payer. You can't have someone who is a marketing manager and they're the trusted advisor and they say, hey, you know, I, I did my research and lo and behold, the best choice for you is the very product I get paid the most amount of money on. And so here's the uncomfortable part is people need to ask pointed questions. They're not all bad. I'm saying roughly 50% as a conflict of interest, but you need to disclose that. You need to figure it out and you need to say, more importantly, force them to sign something that says, this is my only form of compensation. Because how can you trust someone's advice when they're being paid by one of the entities that's servicing them? And again, I'm not against fair compensation for providing a fair service, but it needs to be disclosed and people need to understand what's large or small from a cost basis. And so when we, we look at this problem and we look at the market, we call these people the enablers of bad behavior. You know, they're on the payroll of the very entities that are behaving poorly. Yeah, this is not a partisan issue. I am a uh, conservative Republican. I lean more libertarian. Uh, Mary Ellen is a Democrat. Uh, it really doesn't matter. This is about families. This is about um, people spending money on, on benefits that make sense. And I have no problem with capitalism. I have no problem with being an entrepreneur. But what has taken place in the mainstream, big, huge, conglomerate PBMs is absolutely horrifying to me because of what it's doing to communities. Not necessarily – meaning if they were making just as much money and it wasn't causing harm to our families and it wasn't causing harm to the, the, the hardworking employees that are trying to make it month to month to pay bills and the tax dollars weren't being used to once again – build profits in, in the millions and millions of dollars for these PBMs, I probably wouldn't be as bothered. You know, maybe someone else could pick up the, 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 um, you know, the mission per se and, and, and race against PBMs. But I'm seeing what, what's happening because I talk to independently owned community pharmacies. I talk to hospital pharmacists. I see chain pharmacists pharma, uh, who have been in, in chain pharmacies for years getting laid off. And I see what's happening. So this is impacting now. And by the way, this is why we're seeing this now. I don't want to pull back the curtain of uh, the shroud of, of secrecy of how things get done. But this is now impacting too many people in too many places. And now we're starting to get action in PBM reform because it's hurting too many people. It's literally um, impacting too many people in certain places, including major chain organizations, major chain pharmacy organizations who are also feeling the pinch based on this PBM Rubik's Cube model that can change based on the lawyers that are absolute brilliant algorithmists and the creation of what's continuing to happen in our healthcare system. I think the PBM, and AJ, just if you know data to back this up, but this is uh, opinionated based on what I saturate in every day. I think the PBM is the number one issue in healthcare cost in America today. Well, it's a tough one to answer, but I'll, I'll, let's put it 
to the floor here in the sense that it is the fastest growing segment of healthcare, and it's being fueled through the proliferation of specialty drugs, biologics, and, you know, the next generation of this, which is gene therapies. So, you know, now we're seeing million and $2 million drugs. And so the question becomes, how can you ever understand what a fair price is when you can't even have the buyers and sellers freely communicate on price? So, yeah, I think it's a huge problem. And it's one that spans the entire pharmacy supply chain. And, and let me just give you an example of what I'm saying here is if you speak to pharmaceutical manufacturer executives or their lobbyists, you know, they sit there and they go, well, you have to understand drug prices are actually deflating gross to net that, you know, we're actually making less money. But, you know, while the pharma industry was sleeping, they ceded control of the supply chain to the PBM. And what does that mean is, you know, what they did is, I don't know if they got lazy or their supply chain logistics basically said we shouldn't be involved with the payer side anymore. But the PBM obviously took over that central role. And so when someone says from the pharmaceutical industry, yes, it's true. And their balance sheet, yeah, their gross to net is going down. But that's representing all forms of compensation through manufacturer-derived revenue. So it's rebates, it's admin fees, it's 340B pricing, it's coupons, it's patient assistance, it's you know chargebacks through the network. But the whole point of it is it's a completely inefficient market. Like their story would make sense if they were selling to me. Like, oh, my, my prices are down. But the problem is there's a wholesaler in between, there's a pharmacy in between, and there's a PBM that controls everybody. And the problem is, is the person in between won't let the buyer and seller communicate on price. And to my earlier point, I have no frame of reference. Think about it. The average plan, their only point of reference is what they paid for the last invoice. And from a patient perspective, it's what they paid for the last prescription. And this is troubling. And so I agree with you because of of the, the economics, it is the fastest growing segment of healthcare, and it's an inefficient market, and we need to solve this together. I want to thank both of you for participating in this. Uh, Mary Ellen, before we go, because you're really the guest of honor today, is there any shout outs or there is anything that you want to kind of put in motion before we wrap up today to help someone listening take some steps of what they can do? I think one of our main missions from PSEA is to teach our members how to utilize healthcare effectively. Uh, that's a goal that we've put in place for the last seven years or so, I'd say. That's impossible when it comes to pharmaceuticals because all we have are co-pays and we don't influence the costs without some sort of PBM reform. So I think that's the essential next point where we have to go to say that unless we have some sort of reform, we're going to constantly be chasing an unknown. And because it affects our members, our 181,000 uh, across the state, we're going to have to keep pushing this issue until there is change. Of the top 10 most profitable companies in America right now, four of them are healthcare related. There's nothing wrong with being profitable as long as there's value being returned. In the way that the PBMs act today, there's very little value of what they're doing with regards to the balance between profit and value. And I think that that needs to come more to center. Once again, I am not against profit. 
but on the backs of taxpayers and on Medicaid and the way that those systems work, that's where it starts to pinch and that's where it starts to really bother me when I see companies going out of business, when I see independent pharmacies going out of business, closing their doors, and healthcare being impacted based on this. That's where we have an issue. AJ, I want to thank you for being part of the PBM reform series um, on our network. Uh, we'd like to have you back. And um, if, there, if there's anything in, in last words that you can uh, give, a once again, a shout out or direction to our listeners, uh, definitely we'd like to hear from you. Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, Mary Ellen, thank you so much for uh, joining me today um, and helping us communicate this very important issue. And Todd, thank you for being a wonderful host. I mean, my, my closing point is that there's never been a more important battle in healthcare, and it's going to take everybody. But it begins with asking questions, asking questions from your advisor. Determine if that person is really seeing through your lens and has your best interests. And when you look at options, Make sure that you're pushing towards a model <clears throat> that we're talking about, which is let's make the buyers and sellers communicate on price. And you know we've done this with the clearinghouse model, and we hope that more people emulate it because it's appropriate. Because to your point, Todd, I don't focus our company's resources on managing or artificially inflating price. We manage all of our resources on service and better outcomes in technology to facilitate those you know roles. And I think it's very important. The PBM industry moves, needs to move away from this volume-driven market game to creating value. Well, once again, thank you both for participating in the PBM Reform uh, podcast series. Uh, if you're listening, please share this uh, podcast with someone that you know that would be concerned with the cost of healthcare, which should be any consumer that, uh, that, that works and that has a benefit and or is covered by a benefit. Also, share this with your state representatives to make it easier for them to understand what issues are in place and what we need to do as a country, as a collective, and as uh, stewards of better healthcare for Americans. Once again, thank you so much for listening to The Pharmacy Podcast. PBM reform is not a textbook process. This component of healthcare insurance will take time to figure out and will consist of many different players of the pharmaceutical supply chain. If you'd like to contribute information, data, or your own insights on PBM reform, please contact the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Send your email to publisher at pharmacypodcast.com or call us at 412-585-4001.